Let's open up to Philemon, and that's right after Titus and just before Hebrews. Some people I've been told think that it's Titus's last name. It's like Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, right? It's the book. It's, it's a really short one. It's, it's not, I wouldn't even call it a book, or it's, it's more like a postcard that is written by the Apostle Paul to a man named uh, Philemon. Uh, this is, as, as I said, it's one of Paul's ep- ep- epistles. It's a Pauline epistle. It's written to his friend, Philemon. And I think there's a difference when you read through this letter compared to some of, other, of Paul's other letters that he is, it's obvious he's writing to a friend. He's not, it's not really corrective. He's more pleading like you would with somebody you're close to. Uh, the, the book, really, the main theme of the book is forgiveness and repentance. Two things that are really important in our Christian walk, repentance and forgiveness. And so we'll get into that as we get there. Uh, the book of Philemon gives a, a greater picture of our redemption in Jesus. And it, it's going to cover um, the story very briefly, uh, of a, a man who was a slave named Onesimus, and he was owned by a slave owner named Philemon, the, the guy who this letter is to. And Onesimus abandons his place as a slave with Philemon, and he wrongs Philemon in some way. It, it, it appears from what we read that he potentially ripped him off or stole from him. And he makes a, about a thousand mile journey uh, from the area of, of Colossae and he ends up with Paul in Rome. And we don't know how the providence of their meeting came to be. Uh, we're not told that. But when you read through the letter, um, Paul loves this man, Onesimus, and Paul is going to be sending Onesimus back to Philemon to make things right. And he's pleading with Philemon, and only God could do something like that, right? You, you are friends with Paul, you own a slave, takes off, goes a thousand miles away, somehow contact with Paul and gets saved, and Paul sends him back to you, right? Only God can do that, that sort of thing. And so he, he, Paul is going to send Onesimus back to Philemon, and so he's writing a letter to Philemon encouraging him to forgive Onesimus. And we'll see that as we go through. Some believe that this letter potentially was even carried by Onesimus back to Philemon, uh, along with the book of Colossians. Um, it's believed that they were most likely written simultaneously and sent back. They, they refer to some common characters that, um, that they know, um, so you recognize that, that the people in, that are in Colossians are also mentioned here in Philemon, so you get there's the idea that there's a, there's a common knowledge of these people. So before we get into this, and 
the book is short. You, you'll be able to go home tonight and say that you read a book of the Bible, so you can mark that one off your one year through the Bible plan. But uh, the introduction almost has to be as long as the, the, the book is. But uh, we talk about Roman slaves and slavery, slavery in, in really in any culture is, is wrong. The Bible is not condoning slavery. The Bible is simply telling us the story. Okay, so Roman slaves in that culture, it said that there was likely more Roman slaves than there were Roman citizens. Uh, now, if you were a slave in Rome, some slaves were treated horribly. They had horrible masters. They were treated terribly. Uh, and some of them were treated really well and loved their masters. Slaves did everything in that culture from the most menial, sort of like, you know, Mike Rowe and his dirty jobs, right? They did all of that stuff. They fought in the Roman army. Uh, they also would be, some would be well-educated, and you'd, you'd go to a doctor who was actually a slave, or he could be a doctor who was somebody's personal slave. When we read about Luke in the Bible, we know that Luke was a physician. Well, Luke was also a slave, most likely the slave of the man that he's writing the book of Luke in the book of Acts to Theophilus. Okay, so it doesn't seem as you read through that that Luke was a mistreated slave. He He's writing a letter to Theophilus to tell him more about Jesus and to give him more understanding about Jesus. But many of the slaves were mistreated. They were considered property. Um, if a slave did something out of line, like for instance, Onesimus steals from Philemon and takes off, it's up to the slave owner how he wants to handle that. He could have him put to death. He could forgive him. And that's why there's so much uh, pleading on Paul's part here. Uh, we learn uh, through Roman history that you could be born into slavery. You could sell yourself or your kids into slavery in order to pay for a debt that you owe. So you could essentially like, I don't have any money, but I'll sell you my labor and I'll, I'll work off what I owe you and then you'll be free at the end of that. You could, uh, you could be drafted as a slave into the military. Uh, some of the Roman slaves that went into the military, they agreed that if I serve for X amount of time, then when I get out, I'll be free. I won't be a slave anymore. Okay, so you got the picture about the, the Roman slavery? Okay, so as we begin the book of Philemon, it says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Athia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So right off the bat, in the first sentence, Paul says, Paul, a prisoner of who? Jesus Christ, right? He is not, Paul does not see himself as a prisoner of Rome. He is a, he's a Roman prisoner. He's been arrested for, for serving Jesus. They, they've been there a number of times. They're trying to put Paul to death, but he considers himself to be a prisoner 
of Jesus Christ. If you consider yourself to be a prisoner of Jesus Christ, then whatever else happens to you is just as a result of that service as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. You can't hurt someone who considers himself a prisoner of Jesus Christ because Paul, like he says in Philippians, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's better for me that I get to go to heaven, but it's better for you if I stay here. That's what he says. How can you hurt somebody like that? You can't, right? Paul, stop sharing the gospel. No, because then you'll kill me and I'll go to heaven. Right? I mean, you can't, you can't break a man like that. Also, there is Timothy, and we know that Timothy was uh, a faithful servant alongside of Paul. He, he refers to Timothy as, as being like-minded with him. Um, they met, I believe it's Acts chapter 14, when Paul came into the town where Timothy was growing up. And Paul was basically beaten, left for dead, dragged out of the city. He get, they pray over him. He gets back up, and he goes right back into the city, right back to sharing the gospel. So I'm sure that Timothy was impacted by that. And when he comes back on his second missionary journey to that area, then Timothy ends up going with Paul, and they begin serving the Lord together. Uh, and then he's writing to Philemon. We don't have a whole ba- bunch of background on Philemon other than what's here, but he was in this area of Colossae, uh, and apparently he was friends with Paul. Look what it says, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. And I, I really think when we look through these letters and we read about Paul, and especially as you read through the book of Acts, you get the idea that he's like this little ministry energizer bunny. Like he's just like, Share Jesus, get beat, go to jail. Share Jesus, get beat, go to jail, right? And the, the batteries, like, he keeps going and going. But, but Paul built personal relationships with people. He, he, through all of his letters, he has personal greetings and say hello to this person, say hello to that person, my beloved, our beloved, right? And he really built relationships with people. And so, um, he says, to our beloved friend and fellow laborer, so Philemon, also a believer in Jesus. And then you, it says, to the beloved Athia, that's a woman's name. Not, we're not really told, but it's believed by most scholars that that's probably Philemon's wife. And so, um, and then Archippus, our fellow soldier. This, this guy, um, they believe that he is potentially the son of Philemon and Athia, uh, but... Again, nothing set in stone with that. That's just sort of what the speculation is. But most likely, Archippus at this time is the pastor of this house church that they know. You notice that they say about Archippus, our fellow soldier, and referring to him as a soldier would be referring to him as one that's joined with Paul uh, in ministry. Right? And for those of you that have been in ministry or in ministry, you know that sometimes you feel like a soldier. Right? And you take shots from the enemy when you join into the battle to serve the Lord. Not only do you take shots for battle for, from the enemy, sometimes you take shots from within. Friendly fire sometimes. And we have to be like Jesus and just love in spite of all of those things. And that's what Paul Jesus gives us the best example, Paul probably the second best example of loving in spite of all the hurt that people will do to you. And so Archippus, most likely the fellow soldier, if you read the book of Colossians, you get the idea that I, 
I think it's Epaphras, was the pastor of the church. Um, he was visiting Paul at that time when Paul wrote the letter to Colossae. But later on, we're going to find out that Epaphras looks like he got locked up too. So Archippus potentially has taken over the duties, or at least within this house. In this time frame, uh, really for about the first 300 years of the church, churches met in houses. They didn't go to church buildings. And so you would have a church at Colossae, which was like they would have a regional sort of overseer, uh, like Paul encouraged Timothy to stay in Ephesus and oversee the churches there. And then he told him, taught him how to train up pastors and elders for the church. So uh, there could potentially be several house churches in this area. Archippus potentially over one of them. You don't start to see church buildings pop up until about 300 uh, A.D. or so uh, in the third century is when church buildings really started to pop up. Prior to that, it was pretty much all house churches. And so Paul says to him, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's always in that order. You can't have peace without grace. Grace brings the peace. And you realize that you're saved by grace through faith, not of works. It's a gift of God. No one can boast. And you realize that God saved me even though I've done all of these things and that I can be right with God, I can be redeemed, then the peace of God comes. And not only, it's, it's a twofold peace because we have peace with God. Our sin has been removed. Jesus' blood covers it. And it's been removed as far as the east is from the west. So we have peace with God, but we also have the peace of God ruling we're told to let the peace of god rule in our hearts we're told that the peace of god which surpasses all understandings will guard our hearts and minds in christ jesus and so grace and peace one other thing i wanted to point out if in fact philemon and aphia are married isn't it cool that they have a church in their house when when you have a spouse that wants to do ministry with you and you can do it together, it is awesome. It is a beautiful thing and God will use you as a couple and as a family to do amazing things together that will blow your mind. And I'm sure that these folks, just like most of the rest of us, got saved and God started working in their lives and all of a sudden there's a church gathering in their house. It's pretty cool. And so move on to verse 4. It says, I thank my God. Now Paul's still writing this letter explaining before he gets into really, he's kind of buttering up Philemon here, I guess you could say. And uh, Paul's really good at it, okay? Uh, it's always nice though when you hear somebody wants to ask, if you want to ask somebody something hard, a hard question, you have something hard to tell them, it's, it's nice to come in with some good things right up front, right? That's, that's always worked well for me. I know in 21 years in law enforcement, if I just came out and told somebody, hey, you crackhead, you know, they don't like that very much. But, you know, if you can come out with something nice, then and it kind of it kind of smooths things over a little bit. They think you're the cool cop and, you know, right. So Paul's trying to, to come in with this nice stuff and he's going to 
tell him all these nice things, but he's not lying. He's not making these things up. These are true things about Philemon and about Athia and, this, and what's going on there in their house. And so he says, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith, which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. And so look, let's look at what Paul says. He is praying. Paul prays. Right? It's, it's really subtle. You can read through this and just breeze right past it. I make mention of you always in my prayers. Paul prays. And I think that's an area that the church as a whole is lacking. And I'm not trying to burden you with, like, you got to spend four hours a day. You read about some of these guys, like Spurgeon, I think, would wake up at, like, 3 a.m. and spend three hours in prayer and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Like, I'm not trying to burden you that way. But Paul says in his other writings to pray without ceasing. Well, what, is, what does that mean, to pray without ceasing? Do I have to pray constantly all day? What about when I'm driving? If I close my eyes, that's bad, right? Right? But no, pray without ceasing is this. It's having a constant awareness of the presence of God. Realizing that it's like second nature to talk to God. Right? I'm driving down the road. There's traffic. Oh, Lord, I think I'm going to be late. <laughs> Please open up a traffic lane so I can go. Oh, man, I just thought about Philemon, Lord. Let me, let me pray for him. I lift him up to you. You know, we were talking about Uvalde. That's, I've been thinking about that all day long, and it's like just keep tossing it up to the Lord, right? And that's, that's what it means to pray without ceasing. Now, there isn't something to be said for having a separate time, having a prayer closet, a quiet place, a quiet heart to get alone with your Bible and Jesus and just hear from him and, and pour out your heart to him. Right? Jesus said what you ask the Father in secret, he will reward you openly. So there has to be that time of, of getting away. Jesus demonstrates that for us through the Gospels. He would get away to go be with the Father and to hear from him. But Paul prays, and he's praying for his friend. He makes mention of him always in his prayers. And he, hearing of your, and, and that's something that you guys can do too, right? You can, let's just take, Twilla Springs Calvary Chapel. You can make mention always in your prayers. Just real simple, right? Oh, Lord bless Twilla Springs Calvary Chapel. Right? It's that easy. It doesn't have, you don't have to necessarily remember everybody's name and, you know, whatnot. But just making mention. And so he says, hearing of your love and faith. So Philemon has demonstrated these qualities in his life. The fruit of the Spirit was flowing in his life. Love and faith. And he has that love and faith, number one, towards Jesus. That's, if you don't have love and faith towards Jesus, the rest of it doesn't really matter. And towards all the saints. And that's what happens. If I am right this way, if I'm right horizontally with God, then it's going to overflow vertically to you. If I'm, if I'm in right relationship here, if I'm loving God, if I'm operating in, in a place of faith, then that's going to overflow this way to you guys, right? And that's 
Paul's recognized this in his life, and that's what's happening. He's got this house in his church. People are, are coming there to receive ministry and to hear the word taught and to sing praise songs. And, and so he says that, notice what else is going on in Philemon's life, the sharing of your faith. Paul's praying for him that his sharing of his faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. And I, I kind of sat on that verse for a while when I was looking over this. Every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus related to the sharing of your faith. And if I would, I, effective evangelism, effective ministry, it's really an overflow of the time that you spend with Jesus. It's, it's that if I'm spending time with Jesus, I don't necessarily have to go out looking for people. I mean, let me rephrase that. I don't have to go out with the sole purpose to look for people to evangelize. I just have an evangelistic mindset. When I go to work, I sit down, someone starts talking about something, even something like this, like I said, I was talking to my daughter, and it just brought up this question of like, God, or Dad, what, what happens to these people? Do they go to heaven? You know, like, it doesn't seem fair if they go to hell. They're only like five years old, you know? And it gives them natural opportunity. And people will say things at work. Someone will have a loved one die. There's all kinds of natural opportunities that happen. Like we talked about on Sunday is we have to get out of our phones and out of our AirPods and we have to look up and talk to people because the harvest field is ripe. If you were here on Sunday, if not, go listen to the recording. But John 4, right? The, the harvest, Jesus said, look up, lift up your eyes. The, the harvest field is ripe right now. Don't say there's four months till the harvest. It's ripe now. But it's an, it comes as a natural overflow of what's going on in your personal relationship with Jesus, that, that acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you. The more that you spend time with Jesus, the more that you realize that God's doing a work in me. He's changing me. Things that I once said, I don't say anymore. Things that I once did, I don't do anymore. Uh, things that I didn't care about, I now care about. And, and I, I, you know, one of the things that God's done in my life is he's given me four daughters uh, so I can learn this thing called gentleness. Uh, and, you know, I was raised in a way with a dad who was kind of harsh 